Today's guest is Mike Olson. Mike had a near-death experience during his double lung transplant operation, and during his NDE, he went to heaven and met his organ donor. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you, and welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I just started telling my story uh, recently, actually. Um, I've told it to family and friends and you know whoever will listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, But I haven't really gone publicly sharing my story that much. But I thought you know it was worth uh, sharing. So here I am. Well, great. I appreciate it. I guess we should start at the day of your operation. Sure. So like I was waiting five years on a double lung transplant list. And so really didn't know if I was going to get the call. I had one dry run, which is, that's what they call it when you get a phone call, you get prepped for the operation, you get almost wheeled into surgery and they say, hey, hey, stop, this isn't going to work. So there was a dry run because the organ donors' uh, lungs were had a mass on them. And so they couldn't use them. So I waited another four and a half years until I thought I got the final call. So on that day i was actually out in my backyard and i'm a retired minister and uh so i was in my backyard and i was working on some folk art and um all of a sudden i got this feeling come over me that and i felt like the lord spoke to me and said hey put that stuff up put those supplies up uh you you can't do this right now i thought wow that's kind of weird to hear that but okay so i put all my supplies up and by the time i got back from the back cabin, I have an art cabin in the backyard, to the porch of my uh, back porch of my house. My wife says, uh, "It's the hospital. Um, they, you got a call. You know, they're calling you for you know, a lung transplant." And I'm like, "Oh, wow!" So I could see why I was putting all my art supplies up. So anyway, so we uh, drove to the hospital, and uh, kind of like it was an interesting feeling, you know, to finally be able to know that I'll get a second chance at life. So we uh, got into the hospital and they had to shave my chest and prep me for the surgery. And um, everything was a go and it was pretty exciting. And uh, so last thing I knew after they uh, were prepping me is I was getting the uh, anesthesia uh, and, you know, knew at that point I was going to be the last time with my bad lungs (laughs) and I was going to hopefully wake up with a, a new set of lungs. And so, uh, you know, anytime you, you know, a transplant patient is facing this, you always think of the donor. You always think of, wow, someone had to die so that I could live. So that was on my mind and really on my mind because they had told, when the doctor had called me, he had said, Hey, listen, Mike, um, you got the call. And I said, how do you know these lungs are, you know, you know, viable. How do you know it's, it's, it's going to be a go this time? Well, I had all these questions for the lung surgeon. And he says, no, th- these are uh, these are a go. And uh, these are, you know, good lungs. So I, and he goes, if I were you, I'd, I'd take take these. <laughs> so I said, okay. So, uh, so they prepped me, got me ready, put me under. And at that point, everything seemed to be going, you know, as what I was told by my wife, everything seemed to be going well. Uh, so it's a 12 hour operation. So um, my wife said she was woken up like halfway into the op- operating time by one of my oxygen tanks that was on the front porch. 
and it, these are about three feet tall called e-tanks and it just fell over out of nowhere i've had those tanks on my porch for five years none of them has ever fell over it would take a pretty strong gust of wind to knock one of those over so it was boing and she woke up and she's like mike mike's in surgery so she called this lung surgeon or, or the staff and said how's mike doing what's going on and they said one lung in so she's like okay so she went back to sleep and um so the surgery went on and uh, put the second lung in and um i guess as they were getting me closed up and sutured up because you know they they uh crack your crack crack your ribs open and you know um to get to the lungs so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that went on that I didn't realize until after when I saw the pictures because <laughs> I had the surgeon take pictures for me because I want to write a book about it. So uh, everything was complete except for there was one clamp on an artery. And for some reason, the lung surgeon took it off too early. He probably should have waited a little longer. And inadvertently, I bled out. So what that means is all the blood in my body left my body <laughs> and uh you know and i died and here's what i understood from my wife was that when she spoke to the nurse the next day was she said did my husband die and she and and the nurse said yeah he bled out yes he did but they transfused him furiously to get him back to life so i don't know the time frame how long that took so anyway i died while they were working on me i guess you know, while they were working on me, I was floating all up off the table. And I said, this shouldn't be happening. <laughs> you know, like, this is not how I thought it was going to go. But I kind of just thought, well, I'm not really sure what this is. But then I started hearing some voices right off the table. And these voices were like kind of negative voices, like, you're no good. You, you know, you, you're, you're never amount to anything. And you're just going to you're dead now. And, and as a Christian, coming from a Christian perspective as a pastor, reading the scriptures, I thought, yeah, you can't talk to me that way. <laughs> so I told these voices, uh, be quiet. In Jesus' name, be quiet. And all those voices silenced, like at once. So as I was floating up, this is where I get emotional. As I was floating up, I guess past the ceiling of the OR into the the heavenlies, I saw all these swirling lights all around me and there were rainbow colors and they were just swirling, swirling. And at first I thought, is this to myself? Because you still have your mind when these NDE things happen. So in my mind, I'm thinking, is this the medication? <laughs> is this, you know, I, I couldn't really reconcile. I knew I died, I, but I couldn't figure out. And then all of a sudden it, it started getting clearer and clearer and the angel starts singing. And they said, Mike's coming home. Mike's coming home. Well, as a believer, I realized in the scriptures, it says that when a believer dies, the angels embrace that believer and bring him up into the heavens. And then I heard the voice of, of the Lord say, no, he's just here for a visit. And it was such a beautiful experience because I know it's going to sound weird, but it almost sounded like a droning, like a bagpipes, <laughs> not a, like a sad dirge, but just like a, 
I don't know. It was like a sound I've never heard before, but it was beautiful. And these angels kept singing and it's like surrounding me. And then I realized, you know, in, in that, it was like a circle. Like I was surrounded by these swirling angels. And I don't know if you ever seen the image from Dante's Inferno. The, there's a picture of, of angels swirling around the throne of God. And, uh, and some artwork, I don't know if it's Dante's or whatever, but some artwork I saw one time. So then I realized, oh my goodness, there's angels that surround the throne of God. <laughs> so I kept on ascending into this atmosphere and I wasn't afraid. I was very peaceful. And I just like zoomed up into this, what I call it, the heaven, heaven. And it was bright, hot light. I mean, like the brightest light, everything was white, hot light. And I, I'm standing there going, I am dead, <laughs> you know? And I don't know, I had a moment in time. And I don't know, coming from a Christian perspective, you know, you know, you always wonder, even if you're a pastor, even though you do everything right here on the earth, right? You have kind of some doubt, self-doubts. You know? And I was up there going, well, I thought I lived the best life, you know. I thought I, you know, do the best I could. And, but I, it was, there was no regrets. It was just like I was thinking. And then I, this, it's just a, it, this epiphany happened right while I was standing in this hot light. Oh, Jesus died on the cross for me. All those sins, all the mistakes, everything is all taken care of. And then this like enormous thought came to me. Wow, we worry about way too much on the earth. We worry about finances. We worry about our health. We worry about people saying bad comments on Facebook, you know, like stupid stuff. And I realized when I was standing there, Jesus, Jesus filled all in all. That's what I felt like. His presence was all in all in this atmosphere. And I thought, oh, what was I worried about? And then I, you know, a lot of times when you hear stories like this, you, you, you hear people, oh, I want to see my parents. or I want to see my loved ones. I want to see, you know, me. I stood there and it was, I, I felt like I shouted it out. But, but I think it was just my spirit uh, forming these words. And what I said was, I want to thank my donor. I'm looking around. I want to thank my donor because the guy died or the girl. I can't, I don't know who my donor is. Um, I'm like, they died. That's what I can get these lungs. I have a heart of gratitude, man. I want to hug them. I want to thank them, you know? And uh, all of a sudden I felt, a, I felt a presence behind me. So I just looked over my left shoulder and I could see two figures coming toward me for some reason i didn't turn around i just stood there and i felt a hand on my left shoulder and the lord said mike mike these are your new lungs you receive them and i just thought okay and i saw the donor and the donor was just like kind of just standing there like you know like probably stunned himself he was he was in heaven I mean, like he died you know and but it, it was like words weren't spoken after that but i can just sense that he was grateful that i got them <laughs> that i got the set of lungs you know and as a transplant patient you know before transplant before i even got the call to get the set of new lungs i was suffering for five years on oxygen 
I was uh, never knew if I'd wake up the next day because uh, I was uh, in end stage of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, scarring of the lungs. And my lungs were just eaten away. So um, I just never knew if I was going to make it all that time. And then I, I kind of thought to myself, man, that's kind of weird to get somebody else's body part. <laughs> it's just, it is. It's just weird. You know, and like, I've heard so many stories. I like did my investigation and I thought, I heard stories like people who never like peanut butter, all of a sudden they, they crave it, you know, or, you know, they, they take on the persona somehow of the DNA that's in their body from the organ. So it didn't freak me out. Just thought it was interesting, but you know, kind of, kind of just wondered, you know, because you don't know any of their history. You don't know anything about them. And uh, so when the Lord said, these are your new lungs, Mike, you receive them. Man, that gave me such peace. And that's as soon as I acknowledged that I would take those lungs and, and have them as my own. Then I started floating, floating down, down until I got back into my body. And wow, you know, that I think about that even now. I, I it's like I relive it every time I tell this story because I realize that God knew all about that I was suffering, that I needed this set of lungs, knew this person who was going to die so that I could live with these lungs, knew that person signed his organ donor card and wanted this. You know, this is something they wanted. So, this short but brief visit to heaven. Uh, really gave me that uh, just like I can go on from now, <laughs> you know, mm. for the time I have. And uh, and I was telling someone the other day, I still have like, it's not that I go back to heaven, but I, I can almost relive that experience. And one time, uh, and so anyway, I came back to my body. I'll tell you another story a little later, but came back into my body and I, I was put into a, a, a coma for 10 days. I couldn't breathe on my own. And uh, I did breathe in heaven on my own. <laughs> I will say that with my new lungs. I thought that was really interesting. I, I got to breathe heaven's air. So I came back and somehow when he uh, took the clamp off too early, I bled out. Oh, they they uh, caused uh, what's called bronchial stenosis. They scarred my bronchial tubes. So they were closing. So I was put on a... a respirator and uh and that machine was breathing for me for 10 days and so during that time I, I found this really interesting during that time i was intubated with a tube down my throat and during that time uh, my wife was home with a slew of family and friends helping her because they discovered mold in our bathroom well as an immune suppressed person that i would be after transplant I couldn't come home until that was taken care of. So my wife was sitting there and all of a sudden she's talking to her sister, Kay. She said, Kay, I don't know how I know this. I don't even know why this thought just came into my head. She goes, it was just like a knowing came over me. And she said, Mike died and went to heaven during transplant. And he met his donor. And her sister, she says, well, I guess anything's possible. <laughs> so 10 days later, I get out of um, 
get, get off the coma, weaned off the machine to breathe on my own. And they still left the tube in uh, for precaution's sake because, you know, I wasn't doing so well. So three days later, finally, I get the tube taken out. And my wife tells this story to my friend Jeff about her, the story that she felt like that I went to heaven. And so Jeff goes, I want to go to the hospital when Mike gets extubated. And I want to ask him myself because he's doubting Thomas. So Patty, he goes, don't say anything, Patty, to my wife. So they both come into the hospital room. And I, can, I the only way I could communicate before that, the two days before they took two about, was draw on a dry erase board. And no one could read it because <laughs> I was so drugged. So... They only could read, get the tube out, you know? So anyway, that was the day after I got out of coma. And then my wife came three days later when they were excavating. So Jeff goes, Mike, when you were out, when they came into the room, Mike, when you were out in the Netherlands, like, did you experience anything? And meanwhile, you know, my voice is like three octaves lower. Like I'm kind of some that, that dude that did the voiceover, you know, hey, baby, <laughs> you know, it was really low. And so Jeff asked me that question. And I said, yeah, I went to heaven and I got to thank my donor. His eyes bulged out like, you've got to be kidding me. And Patty, my wife, started tearing and, and she goes, I knew it. I knew it. But interesting, also, the week I was in a coma, Patty got a phone call from a friend of ours who uh, lives a couple towns away and actually from the wife of the, our friend. And his name is John Jonathan Johnson. And he called Patty on the day I died, uh, which he didn't know that. But he called. He goes, you're going to think I'm like out of my mind, but I want to tell you what happened to me. He goes, I was in my bedroom. I was sleeping. I don't know if it was early morning or took a nap. I don't know how to ask him, but he says, I was sitting there and um, no, I was laying there sleeping. He said, and I sat up because I heard the audible voice of God in my room. And the voice said, Mike's with me. That was the exact time that I had died in surgery. So he goes, I didn't want to tell you, so I waited to call you because this is what happened to me three days later. And he said, I got woken up again. Audible voice of God. He goes, I've never had this happen in my life. And the voice said, he's back. So, <laughs> and he told Patty that, and she had no idea what happened to me. And I don't know what happened to me during that coma time. Obviously, had died, and I don't know when you're breathing through a machine how long I was gone. So anyway, um, I just thought that was really incredible that a little pastor in Kentucky, you know, and God's concern to let people know messages about because I had I had a lot of people praying for me. I had a lot of people who followed me on Facebook on the Mike Olson project. Because I did a lot of a, a awareness campaign for lung disease, for this particular lung disease. And um, so I knew people all over the world who are showing my documentaries. 
helping people to become aware of the disease. So, you know, all I know is that, you know, people were watching my life and they wanted to see how it was going to turn out. I'm glad it turned out good. So, uh, so yeah, all that happened. And, um, so, you know, as I was recuperating after that, uh, heavenly experience, um, I started getting visitations from angels <laughs> and I knew it wasn't the medicine because I was laying in bed one morning. I'm going to, I was kind of discouraged because I've had since my transplant on January 7th, 2019, I've had 54 surgical procedures wow. to try to open up the bronchial tubes. First, they put stints in, the stints didn't work. Then they ballooned them and then they blew my trachea and cracked my trachea and, they just so many things. And so I was kind of getting discouraged. But anyway, not too soon after I got home from transplant, I'm laying in bed and, you know, my wife's working. She's working full time carrying my health insurance. So I'm laying in bed by myself and I had, uh, I had just lost two dogs. So it was pretty lonesome. So I'm sitting there in the, in the bed and I, I open my eyes looking around and all of a sudden there's an angel standing at the foot of my bed off to the right and from floor to ceiling that's how big this angel was and he was just staring at me and i was like what <laughs> like what and um it's funny you know as a pastor i preach on these things god can do anything he wants i mean he's a god of signs wonders and miracles i mean don't limit god he can do anything now i'm living it <laughs> i'm practicing what i preach so uh so there's this angel, and I, I right away asked God, God, what is this? Why is he here? Are you taking me home again? <laughs> so he said, no, Mike, he's just watching you. He's watching over you. You're still not out of the woods. That's what I felt, because I was really struggling. Really, I mean, in fact, I had to go back to the hospital for 10 days because my lung collapsed, when my new lung collapsed. So that I can understand why the angels are watching over me. Perhaps they foresaw me going back to the hospital with a collapsed lung. So, uh, so anyway, so ever since that experience, though, it's like, I don't know, I just see things differently. I, um, I realize, you know, I don't know, sometimes in our life, we, we can be judgmental. <laughs> we can be kind of uh, opinionated. <laughs> and I, I find myself, after that experience in heaven, coming back and, and saying, man, you know, like, cut people slack. I mean, be kind. You know, like to give you an example, one of my things was homeless people. We have a lot of them downtown Louisville on the city streets. And I'd always look at these dudes going, dude, you have a brand new pair of sneakers and a brand new backpack. I ain't giving you no buck for some booze. You know, like mm. I would just judge them. I'll be honest. Even as a preacher, I'd be like, dude, you got way nice more clothes than I am. You know, so. But then after that experience, I really look at them now and say, how does God see them? There's got to be a reason they're homeless. Got to be a reason why they're on the street. You know, maybe they have a lot, very low self-esteem and they, and they just think they can't do any better. You know, so th my thought life has changed a lot since I've been to heaven. So um, in January, you know, I've been trying to avoid it all year long. And I kind of really don't go into large crowds. I, being See, I've been wearing a mask for seven years, you know, five years before you know, before COVID. So, you know, I'm always careful, wash my hands, 
do fist bumps like Harry Mandel. You know, I just, I did everything to protect myself. We even went on vacation during COVID to Florida twice. But of course we stayed at a, a family member's house and they were very careful around me. And then the other time we were in a hotel all by ourselves. <laughs> so, so the weird thing was I get home I mean, I mean, we go through COVID for the whole year, nothing. And then uh, in January, I went for a test at the hospital. And that's where I think I got it. Because uh, when I called, I was going to get a BAM infusion antibody uh, outpatient at another hospital. And when I called to make the arrangements, uh, she said, oh, you transplant patients. I, I have so many people coming over here for this IV infusion. So I put two and two together and I thought, yeah, I got it in the hospital somehow. That's the only reason. That's the only, and I only went in there for blood work, uh, PFTs, which is my breathing capacity test, and x-ray. So one of those people there, whether it was a nurse, a technician of some sort, must have had it and gave it to me. So, oh, wow. And I wear a mask, too, in the hospital. And so uh, I don't know how that happened. but So... If you don't mind, and if you have any description besides the angel in front of your bed, can you give us a more detailed description of what Jesus looked like and what the angels looked like when you were traveling? Yeah, well, the angels, you know, the angels are just, well, I want to say typical angels. I don't know if that makes any sense. But the images of angels that you see with wings and human form, that's what they looked like. They were just swirling around me you know all around me and uh and yet their wings were translucent mm -hmm. and yet yet had the appearance of rainbows and uh which kind of confused me at first because i thought you know i i never thought or heard about angels being rainbow angels you know but uh i later checked it out when i was always checking out with scripture to see you know if if it's even mentioned, and yes, it is mentioned. So in in uh, Revelations, let me see, I think I jotted it down here somewhere. In Revelations uh, 4.3, um, it talks about, uh, and I saw an angel uh, with a rainbow over its head. <laughs> and I thought, oh, there it is. There, there really is an angel with a rainbow over its head. So I, I experienced many angels, myriads, I would say, of angels, because there was literally, I want to say thousands, swirling around me. You mentioned that their wings were transparent. Did the rest of them look kind of like a transparent light being, or did they look solid like you and I here? No, they look transparent to me, even the one I saw in my room later. Mm -hmm. uh, and... But what I noticed about angels is that, you know, first of all, you know, I'm finding out later in life that they really should be a part of our everyday life. If, especially for Christians who are believers, they, the Bible speaks about angels all the time. Like it was a normal thing. Like Peter was in one, uh, not Peter, uh, uh, Philip was in one town and talking to some people about the gospel. And then all of a sudden he disappears into thin air and is translated to another part <laughs> of the country, you know? And so things like that happen in the new Testament and people don't even realize that that was part of normal Christianity. 
Same with angels. Angels appear to Mary. Angels appear to Joseph in a dream. Angels, you know, the scriptures is filled filled with angels showing up and interacting with human beings. So I don't know where the church stopped talking about them um, and and didn't realize they were supposed to be a part of our life. Uh, and they were helpers. The Bible calls them watchers. They call them, them uh, many names. And, uh, and they're there. <laughs> and they're there to guide us, direct us, and um, to do the bidding of God. Uh, so I'm finding out more and more that, uh, you know, they're pretty handy to have around. <laughs> uh, what about Jesus? Did you see Jesus? And what now, I saw, like? I saw the form of him and it, and I only is in heaven, even the donor, the donor, I could almost make out a little bit more because his skin was darker. So I thought, wow, maybe he's Middle Eastern, you know, like that's to me, my spirit. That's what I, I thought. Cause I thought, wow, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. But when I looked at Jesus and him, it was very fuzzy appearance. And I was like, wow, why, why can't I see him? Now I know the scriptures talks about, and I heard about other NDE experiences that if you see me full face, then you can't go back. Hmm. <laughs> you know, because you're here now and you've seen the face of God and sorry, Charlie, you're staying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did have a conscious decision to make when I was there because of the feelings I got when Jesus touched me physically on my shoulder and having that experience in heaven. I, I think I had a decision. I could, could have stayed if I wanted to, hmm. but I automatically thought about my wife and my son. And I, and I thought, wait, I just felt I had unfinished work to do. Right. And so in my spirit, I just said, I don't think this is the time right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I joked with my wife, like, I mean, after all, I've gone through the past two years with all these multiple surgeries and uh, infections and uh, just a lot of problems. I've lost over 60 pounds, 70 pounds since the transplant. Uh, I think oh, I should have stayed. <laughs> but, you didn't tease her and say it was all for you, dear. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I did. And she goes, "Yeah." Some days when I'm ornery because my <laughs> my transplant uh, anti rejection meds make me rare. Some days, mm-hmm. uh, so she goes, "Yeah, maybe you should have stayed." <laughs> no, we tease each other, but you know, life is life, and uh, things happen. And uh, right. So anyway, yeah. So I didn't see him face to face, and I think there was a purpose in that. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, I don't know. Part of me, I want to tell my story. I want to tell because it happened to me. But I, I've noticed some people could be braggadocious and you know really build their story up and you know. And I didn't. I'm not that type of person, so I don't want to do that. And so, uh, so I think it was a fair purpose because. Although I would have loved to have like traveled around heaven, seen more, you know, experienced more. Uh, but I was telling someone, this is what I was telling you earlier, the other day, it's not that I'm translated or transported back into that place, but sometimes I feel like I'm there. Mm-hmm. I know that can sound really strange, but when I tell the story, I feel like I'm right there. Well, like I'm right. talking to you, telling the story, I feel like I'm there all over again. Right. 
And uh, like I'll be walking down the road and I'm there again. Right. So it's just when you're touched with the NDE, when you experience something so supernatural, so profound, it, it, it does change your life forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one thing to talk heaven, uh, talk about, you know, the other side, talk about, um, you know, experiencing, oh, just, I just want to see it. I want to see if it's real or I want to see my loved ones that have passed or, you know, it's one thing to talk about it or have a mental ascent to that place. But, you know, to actually have gone there, it, I, I'm sure I'm not doing it justice because the, what I saw, I just say bright, hot light. It was more than that. It was like the feeling I got when I was in heaven was like total bliss, total like, wow, this is how life should be. This is how it should be. This is, we get shortchanged here on the earth. Sorry. But it, it was, it was just like, I felt, as I told somebody, I felt completed. I felt validated. I felt totally loved by the creator. I, I felt totally, um, everything made sense in my whole life. You know, because you, you have a lot of thoughts when you have these experiences. And when I was going up, I had a lot of thoughts because your mind still is active and engaged. And But when I got there, I was like, wonder why everyone wants to go here wonder why this is our eternal home this is why we're going here because this is like what we need on the earth we are so distracted by so many things and that's why people try to um you know just have a you know they try to fill their life with so many things whether it be alcohol or drugs you know even experiences just always trying to fill that empty void. And I think we do that because we're not complete yet. You know what I mean? Like we're just not our total true self. And I feel like when, when we get to heaven, that's going to be a completion of what, why we were created. Why were we here? Everyone asked that. Why are we here? You know, what, what's this, what's the purpose? You know, why was I born into this situation? You know, why, why did I have all this happen to me? And, uh, you know, just to give you a little insight of who I am, I mean, like I grew up and I was um, in a very difficult uh, situation. My mom had multiple sclerosis. She was sick the whole time. Um, and she was older. She had me when she was 40. So, uh, so it was growing up with an older parent. You know, she was in her 60s when I was in my teens, you know, so or thing <laughs> she had seven kids but anyway i came uh, from a background where there was a lot of abuse sexual abuse physical abuse uh verbally verbal abuse you know until i got out on my own and uh and i i say i i became a christian later on in life and and uh god really healed me of all those situations uh that i you know grew up in a dysfunctional family and uh but when I went to heaven, none of that, even none of that mattered. It was just like, it was like, I felt like erase, erase everything that was bad, got erased. I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about that. I wasn't thinking about, it was just, I, I can't explain the feeling I had. And I can't believe I, I wanted to come back after that feeling, but it was just like a, a total feeling of, 
you know, this is how it should be. This is why we live our life, our life on earth. We may think it's long when we're going through suffering, when we're going through situations that we don't like. Uh, but it's a blip when it comes to the other side, when it comes to that. This is life, but that's life more abundantly. This That life is beyond our imagination, beyond our scope of even understanding in our finite mind. And I felt that when I was there. And I, 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 I actually, I, I'm Norwegian, so I'm an explorer, right, by nature, just from my DNA. And I just, you know, when I was there, I'm like, this is cool. I wonder what it's really like. I wonder if there's things that we can do there that'll be, be, blow our mind if we really knew about it here. But that sense I had when I was there was like, wow, anything is possible. This is, this is you know what? It was worth it all. I, I tell everybody it was worth dying on the transplant table. It was worth uh, being in a coma. It was worth even the struggles I've had after transplant because, you know, that experience got, that God allowed me to have was a treasure. It was just incredible. Mm-hmm. It was like a, almost like a, uh, you know, a foretaste of what is to come. You know, it was just like, not everyone gets to experience that. I got to, you know, get a glimpse of eternity, you know, and just, it's just wild. How has this experience changed you as a pastor? And have you considered going back into the church now afterwards? Well, um, I, I keep, I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was in the clear. I, when I got terminally ill, uh, there was, you know, it was five years that I was like that. First couple of years, I did a lot of uh, awareness and public speaking, and I met politicians and celebrities and everything to bring awareness to the disease. I made documentaries, and um, you know, my my story even won an Emmy Award, which I joke because I was an actor in New York in musical theater, gave it all up to go into the ministry when I was uh, 19, and you know, I I was trained in theater. I went to NYU for theater. I, you know, I, that's, I loved it. I loved musical theater, dancing, singing, and, uh, but gave it up. And, uh, like 40 years later, I'm walking the red carpet and the newscaster, Gilbert Corsi, who from, uh, WDRB news here in Louisville, he won the Emmy, but he turned to me and goes, Mike, this is yours. It, it says it right on the Emmy. I'm dying. Will you help? That's you here. Take it. So I've been, I have an Emmy sitting in my house going, and I laugh every time I pass it because I'm like, yeah, that is my Emmy. Yeah, I got an Emmy. So I, so I teased everybody. I said, yeah, I took dying to get noticed around here. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it changed me. You know, those things people think are really important. Oh, an Emmy award or, you know, uh, uh, all these accolades from men. But, you know, it changed me because I, you know, I'm more, I, I do more now. I tell everybody I do more now out of the pulpit than I did when I was in the pulpit, when I went on the mission field and did things uh, and shared. Uh, But it seemed that God allowed suffering and changed my heart and even the the experience of going to heaven. So now I'm ministering more online to not even Christians, just to everybody, whoever needs to have an ear to listen, uh, some to listen to them. And so uh, I have friends all over, like my Facebook account went down the other day, because uh, see, I'm an millennial. I am on Twitter and and, uh, 
and all the other um, Snapchat and all that. Someone signed me up because she said, you got to get with it and get on these other social platforms. <laughs> but when my Facebook account went down, it was like the end of the world to these people because I constantly post even about my heavenly experience and just about my life in general every day. So, so the ministry kind of kind of took a different turn where I've become more of an inspirational teacher, a, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, that's what I do now. And so, so I get invited a lot to, uh, of course, medical uh, colleges, uh, university of Louisville had me speak and the, uh, I taught with, I spoke with, uh, respiratory therapists and it was really cool because i told them the story and they were like wow we work on people like you <laughs> so so see you know i just i guess i'm involved in things that normally i would never be involved with like i'm involved with the, the electric car group evolve kentucky here and uh they wanted me in their movie and i was dragging around my oxygen and they you know they said uh hey you know you want to drive an electric car and i did and Lo and behold, they uh, took took up a, a basket. And I call it an offering in the church, but they took up a collection. And and then uh, this man who was getting a Tesla said, "Hey, I want to give Mike my old Le- Nissan Leaf." So I was driving around the electric cars. So things like that. And uh, you know, I I, I work uh, in the Louisville for the Center for Healthy Air, Water, and Soil at the Environ Institute at U of L, which uh, you know makes sure that uh, we have healthy air, water, and soil in our city, so I'm an advocate for that as well. Things like things happen to me, and, and things that I'm doing, I I kind of laugh because like I, I tell everyone I'm a tree hugger now. Mm-hmm. I never was a tree hugger before, but because of the oxygen and because I was suffering for oxygen for air, now I've become a tree hugger, and uh, so I I, I work with. Uh, American Lung Association. I work with uh, Kentucky Oregon donor affiliates for organ donation awareness, and then um, and and Red Cross now too. Because if it wasn't for those many and many units of blood they were pumping into me to get me back to life, I wouldn't be here. So you know, things change. <laughs> Have you ever considered that when you were in heaven, if you had donate parts of your body? Like you were so happy to be in heaven, you wouldn't even care. Like you know, oh, absolutely, wouldn't even, wouldn't even matter to you. Let me tell you a funny story. So I was doing a TV inst- interview for the Kentucky Organ Donor Affiliates, which is the transplant organization here in Louisville. And as they're interviewing me, this is before transplant. They said, "Are you? An, you're an organ donor, aren't you, Mike?" I'm like deadpan, going, "No." <laughs> embarrassment here live on tv i said i didn't think i could be because i had i'm old and i at the time was taking some uh heavy duty medication like cancer type medication uh to help slow down the progression of the lung disease and they said oh no you can be an organ donor you can your eyes your skin i'm like sign me up right now while i'm on the air so i signed up and because i just didn't think i could be but yes, now that you're saying that, yeah, I couldn't take it with me. Mm. What rose into the heavenlies was my spiritual, my soul and spirit. My body was still laying down in that operating room. But I was an organ donor. So if I had, hadn't had made it, yes, all my body parts would have gone to 
people who are in need. And so, yeah, I'm a huge advocate for that. I'm very grateful for my donor. Um, I've written his family. It's been two years, haven't heard back from them, but I'm sure they're still in major grief. So uh, I may never hear from them, but I kind of want to hear from them because it'd be really cool to say, by the way, uh, I met your your loved one in heaven and uh, it was cool. <laughs> Do you feel like you have any after effects of this spiritually that you have to manage? Um, um, let, me, let me think about it. Let me just say it. Yeah, it directs the way I act in life. <laughs> Things I let slide. Yeah. You know, like everyone always says, you know, when especially you have a terminal lung disease, to make sure you forgive people, make sure you make things right all the time. And, you know, you, you can have a, a fight with your spouse and you're like, let her go to bed angry because I'm mad, you know? <laughs> so now we even had a little tiff today because we were going out and, um, you know, we're, the, the place was going to close that I wanted to go to. And then by the time we got there, it was closed. And so we had a little tiff about that. But you know what? I, I made it right and apologized. And, you know, before, I, I don't know, I could let it stew for a while. But I realized, wait a second, no, no, no. You know, and so it does. It affects the way I treat people. Um, it affects the way I, uh, uh, you know, just how I um, interact with people I see in the supermarket, you know, or, or and I'm, I'm really more spiritual intuitive you know i pick up on things a lot clearer and like i kind of did before that you know you go into a weird place and you get these weird vibes and you're like something's not kosher here you know <laughs> and let's get out of here because i don't like the way i'm feeling here type of thing but after transplant and after uh, my near-death experience I, I i i have more dreams <laughs> yeah. and uh Dreams that are vivid, dreams that are uh, kind of like um, just kind of like I'm, I've been under, I've been kind of not worrying, but going like, what's going on in the world? You know, with all this COVID stuff, all this lockdown, all this stipulations, all this mask, and all this, you know, crazy stuff. And the, but after my experience there, my normal person would be anxiety ridden, maybe have a panic attack, you know, maybe, you know, like I've got to solve this. And, you know, now it's like, eh, not my problem. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, I'm not sweating the small stuff or the big stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I- I'm just not. And, and I guess maybe that experience that I had gave me such assurance that, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going there. You know, I'm just not. And knowing that I had angels surrounding me when I was dying and knowing that they appeared in my room, knowing that God wants to have that interaction with us on a daily basis. um, You know, I pray about everything and I, I expect more. I have an expectancy. So our electric, just to give you an example on the normal everyday plane, our electric car, new one went out. And I'm, it just wouldn't start one day. And the normal me would be freaking out going, this guy sold me a lemon. This, you know, what's going on with this car? How am I going to do this? My wife's the only one working 
We're on a limited budget. I don't even know. I don't even have AAA. I don't. I can't get this thing towed. I don't even know what to do. So that day came. This is a couple of weeks ago, and I just quieted myself. I thought, you know what? In the light of eternity, this doesn't matter. This is all going to work out. It is all going to work out. I'm not going to worry about it. So I went on Facebook, like I do, because my life is an open book, and I put everything to my family and friends. So I put on Facebook ah, my new. Uh, we call our it's a bright red obnoxious red car uh, Chevy Spark and we call it um, Sassy Salsa <laughs> Sal- Salsa Sassy Salsa I said my Sassy Salsa car went out uh, and I have no idea how to fix it because I had it plugged in and it's not charging and this is weird that's all I said because I thought most people don't have electric cars they're not going to be able to help me anyway but the guy who owns the Chevy dealership in town was following my story. And he said, Hey, Mike, I remember you from that electric car movie. He goes, don't worry about it. I'll send a tow truck out and I'll, uh, I'll have the mechanics look at it and we'll, we'll come to the bottom of it. We'll figure it out here. I'm thinking, ching, 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 ching. This is going to cost me a fortune. How is this going to be? And so I, I just bluntly texted him. I said, that's very nice of you, but how much is it going to cost me to tow this car and to have the uh, uh, labor for the guys to look at it? Because nothing, it's on me. Mm. And he said, you know, we we'll just pay for what, whatever is broken. So all it wound up being is the 12 volt battery, not the undercarriage batteries. The 12 volt battery went, it usually goes out after five years in these heavy sparks if you don't uh, charge it correctly every night. And so I looked back and I thought it was raining one night, the night before it went out. And my wife goes, oh, I don't want to plug this electric car in in the rain. Well, the rule of thumb is, yeah, you can because everything's insulated. You're not going to get shocked. It's fine. But she didn't know that. And when she didn't do that, the 12 volt battery didn't charge up. Mm. And that's what happened. It fried it. So anyway, got fixed. Uh, Someone paid for it. (laughs) And so those kind of things. I, I attribute it to my angels. I attribute it, you know, that that piece that I have that passes all understanding uh, kicked into gear that day. And so things like that. And then I'm going to tell you another story. Uh, after transplant and after this near-death experience, I went to a deep depression for about six months because I had lost my two dogs. And I have these frou-frou dogs, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. And uh, so... I had these two for the seven years I was deathly sick. So they're these two girl dogs and they were always with me. They slept with me. They were my counselor. I talked with them, (laughs) you know, everything. So when they both died back to back six months apart, because they were like uh, 14 and 15 year old, um, I went to this deep depression, even after the heavenly experience, you know, I just, it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't suicidal. I just, I was bummed out, man. I just, my wife works, uh, you know, eight, 10 hours a day and I'm a home alone. Uh, so a uh, home alone, that could get me in trouble. Uh, but so all of a sudden I knew my wife's like, yeah, we're not getting no more dogs because <laughs> they're a lot of work. So all of a sudden she comes to me one day and she says, you know what? I think you need a dog. I really think you need a dog. So I was like, okay. So, um, so she, uh, said that and I'm like, oh, I got the green light, but I, 
in transplant, you can't have any new dogs because if it's a puppy, there's live vaccinations and I'm immune suppressed. So I couldn't do that. So I went to have my uh, quarterly meeting at the transplant center and I talked to my doctor about it. He goes, I didn't say you couldn't have any dogs. I said, any puppies. I'm like, really? Okay. So I came home and I was on Facebook and all of a sudden this woman who I knew on Facebook said, Oh, I have this beautiful stud dog. His name is sky. And he, um, went, he won, uh, he was at Westminster. He's a championship grand champion show dog, but he's sterile. I can't stud him. So I need to rehome him Well, I was right on it. I said, I'll take him. I'll take him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, she was in Florida. So, uh, she said, uh, she didn't answer me for a while. I'm, I'm, I'm texting her. I'm trying to video chat her, everything. And, uh, so all of a sudden she finally text mes- messaged me and says, Mike, I've been following your story and your documentaries for years. I know who you are. She goes, you know how many people want this dog? She goes, I think you're supposed to have this dog. So she, uh, anyway, she, uh, we made arrangements and uh, uh, paid $500, I think, for medical expenses and everything and had a dog handler carry the dog with him in the plane from Florida all the way to Kentucky. And I, and I want to tell you this because this dog was heaven sent. When he got off the plane with a dog handler, he saw me from across uh, this little um, pavement way. He ran to me, jumped into my arms and just like cuddle, snuggle into me. And that's not normal for a dog, a four year old dog to do that. And I, I really think God handpicked him for me. He's been like glue. He's like Velcro. He is with me 24-7 everywhere we go. He's my emotional support dog. I have a little vest I put on him, and he goes everywhere with me, out to eat, everywhere. But people are like, oh, maybe that's just a coincidence. No, I really kind of think it's my NDE experience that made that happen. Mm-hmm. Because those dogs are super expensive. And to even get them is near impossible unless you had a lot of money, which we don't have. Mm-hmm. They're usually like $3,000 dogs. So, uh, yeah, I just attributed that experience, everyday life experience, of me wanting a dog to, I don't know, maybe I got connections now. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. All right, well, let me switch gears on you here. You'd mentioned earlier that you're working on a book. So what are you working on that you want us to know about? Well, I have two books. I'm doing a book and it's almost done. I have to finish it up. It's called Catching My Breath in the Bluegrass. And that's my tra- uh, my terminal Ill- illness, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis disease book. And my post-transplant book is more going to be the next book, which is called uh, Bathe in Heaven's Light. And that's going to be my uh, NDE experience. So those two books hopefully will be finished by summer and uh, be available on Amazon. But they can access that through my Mike Olson Project um, Facebook page Mm -hmm. um, because I'll be listing things there. Um, Mike Olson Project was a grassroots awareness campaign um, that I was – pursuing to i was going to start a foundation and then i realized there's so many foundations that are doing great works out there for pulmonary fibrosis so i'm just going to have it just as my awareness campaign 
Uh, and so uh, I'm going to add my NDE experience along with that uh, because that really gives patients hope because a lot of patients who have the disease I had don't have the luxury to get a double lung transplant and they will die. Mm. And so they, they do want to know what's on the other side. Uh, some are not Christians. And so, you know, that's the neat thing. I just share who I am. I, I you know, the good, bad, and the ugly. And uh, I do that for a reason because, you know, I don't have a halo. I'm not perfect. I'm still, I'm still living this life, but you know, as we share our stories, you know, it, it helps other people like you sharing stories of NDE. It, it really gives people hope. It, it gives people an understanding that there's more to this life, that there's, this is, it just doesn't end when we die, <laughs> that there, there is an eternity to be enjoyed. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, is there yeah. one last message that you'd like to share with the audience? Yes. And I, this is what I've come across and I think I alluded to when we were speaking, is stop and think when you're going through anything and just realize you're not alone, that you have angels that surround you. I believe everyone is given a gardening angel when, when you were born that is selected for you, that follows you, that is around you, protecting you. Lord knows I've kept mine busy (laughs) and not only angels, but you have a purpose in this life and God will always guide and direct you. If you ask him, if you ask him to, you know, like, like I did, like when I was 19 years old, I mean, I was a a nominal Roman Catholic and I kind of had all head knowledge of who God was, but I didn't have heart knowledge. And one, you know, one day, I, you know, they called being born again. I just said, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, come into my heart, change my life, man. And my life's a mess. That was a simple, short prayer. And I tell you what, I, it's been an adventure ever since I, I said that prayer. But, you know, if you just give yourself over to God and just say, you know, I can't handle this life. I can't handle the situation. I can't handle what's happening in the world right now. But I know from hearing these experiences that there is good waiting for me, that there's joy, that there's peace. That, and that's what I want to leave people with, that there is something to look forward to uh, and and that don't worry about the small things or the things that irritate or the things that consume you with distractions um, and, and realize that there's, some, there's a bigger picture at hand. There's a much bigger picture that sometimes we don't, we have such tunnel vision when we're going through something here on the earth. But if we just realize that there's so much that God has for us and, you know, just my little trip to heaven. And when I, I called the book Bathed in Heaven in Light, because it was like I was being totally washed clean, totally, you know, just bathed in, in that holy presence. And even here on the earth, I think we can have a, a foretaste of that. If we would just quiet ourselves, if we would just receive who he is and just, you know, just just receive what God has for you. And I think when doing that, the things that you face in life will become a whole lot easier and and you'll, you'll you have helpers. You know, I believe angels brought me my dog. I, I believe angels 
uh, orchestrated the car, electric car coming to me. I, I just do. And God is interested in any of the smallest details of our lives. You know, I mean, in the Bible, it says that uh, Elijah was fed by the ravens. Okay, the dude didn't have any food around, but God uses a bird to bring him food. So, I mean, you think God could do that now? I mean, couldn't, couldn't God do something in our lives like that? I, I'm going to share a quick story. I'm, I'm going to make it really brief. We were driving home. This is six months before I got that call, before I had the NDE. We were driving home on a highway. My wife was, you know, burdened with uh, everything, the transplant, a million-dollar transplant. And, and so she starts singing this song by John Michael Talbot. He's a Christian, uh, Catholic Christian monk. And he, the song went, Father, I place my life in your hands. So she starts singing that, and she started lifting up all her burdens to the Lord, just giving them all over to him. So I said, oh, you're singing. I'll sing along with you. Father, I place my life in your hands. Boom. All of a sudden, on the highway, we were the only ones coming down 71 to 264, which is in Louisville. And coming down, I think, over the Westport Road exit, there's tall walls, like 14 feet tall walls. A deer appears before our car. I slammed on the brake. We go, Jesus. I thought, I'm not going to die from a terminal lung disease. I'm going to die, die from this deer coming through my windshield. And would you believe that deer disappeared into thin air? It like it was like Star uh, Star Trek. You know, there was just like all of a sudden it was like dematerialized as we were going through it. <laughs> and my wife, I, at first I looked at my wife and I said, did you see that? I'm not going crazy. Did you see that? She said, yes, I saw that. So that experience, God was even trying to reach me before I died on the table. And we, we started shaking. I mean, literally shaking until we got home. And we thought, why why did we experience that deer? We call it the deer story. And so I studied the scriptures in Bible college. And the Lord brought back to my remembrance. Hey, do you remember the tribes of Israel? They camped about and they had flags with inside, you know, the uh logos of their different tribes and one of the logos was a deer and it was the tribe of naphtali and the story of the tribe of naphtali was rachel and leah one could have children and one could not and the lord said to the handmaiden i have seen your struggle that hit me like a ton of bricks because what the lord was saying by that deer appearing to us is mike patty i've seen your struggle i know you're waiting for a, a transplant of your lungs i know it i got it it's okay. You got, I got it. Well, that put us in total peace for six months because I had been waiting four and a half years. Six months until I got the call for transplant. So God wants to reach out. He can put a deer and, and dematerialize it in front of you. God can do anything. I mean, God, God does those kind of things. You know, he's a big God. And he, he can you know, talk to you in visions and dreams or actual open visions like we have with the deer. So, Well, thank you for your message, and thank you so much for being my guest. I really oh, appreciate you. I uh, appreciate you. I just, I'm, I'm glad. You know, I just 
you know, told my wife, you know what, I, I need to start sharing this more. Mm-hmm. And I and your your face popped up, and I thought, hey, he looks like a good looking cool dude. <laughs> and I said, you know what, I think I'm supposed to, I'm just think I'm supposed to tell my story. Mm-hmm. And then um, then after that, another person popped up. So yeah, now I'm starting to tell it. You know, whoever will listen. And I, I think it has a purpose. So I think I think it's going to help people. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mike. Well, I wish you the best and you have a great evening. All right. If you ever come through Louisville, come to see me. All right. Sounds great. All right. Take have care. Have a good night. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.